Hello, this is uh, Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. Uh, I'm uh, Andy Bannister. I'm joined by my usual co-host, Christy Mayer. Hello, Andy. And uh, today we've got a really uh, unusual guest uh, on the podcast, haven't we, Christy? Oh, indeed we have. (laughs) We have indeed, because my guest and uh, my co-host are, in fact, today one and the same. Whoa. Yeah, we were talking in the sales office, and so one of my uh, one of my colleagues said, "You know, not a lot of our listeners may necessarily know who Christy, who you are. They've probably seen who I am because they've walked worked their way through our short answer videos or seen me do stuff. Um, but other than just being a voice on the podcast, they may not know you. Oh. So, to this, so in this podcast, we're going to change all of that, and I'm actually going to interview Christy. So now I get to ask the questions, and you get to give some answers. Cool, eh? No pressure yet. No pressure. So I guess the the first question I'd love to uh, put to you to kind of sort of get the uh, get the show rolling. I mean, over the years I've known you, um, you've done all kinds of things. You're a you're a theologian. Uh, you're an apologist. You know, whatever that means. Uh, you're also an evangelist. I think I first met you on a university mission uh, yes, in Liverpool a few years right. ago. So how did you get to kind of where you are today? What's the kind of story that's brought you to to this point? Hmm. Oh, where do we start with that? I mean, I think I've had this long, long time unsettled discontentment when it's come to kind of Christianity and the big questions surrounding the Christian faith. So for me as a 16, 16 year old, I was grappling with the death of the unexpected death of my father. And I just couldn't understand how there could be a good God who allowed such awful suffering to take place. And so for me at that time, I was looking for answers to these questions. And the Christians that I came into contact with were really well-meaning, really lovely, really warm, but they couldn't answer my questions. And that left me so frustrated that I just thought, well, if, if you're saying that you're pointing to this kind of good creator, this heavenly father figure in the sky, who to me at the moment seems like a bit of a psychological crutch, what good reason is there for actually for me to to embrace him for myself. And so that kind of, that unsettled agitation that I had as a 16 year old, I think the Lord used to put a bit of a fire in my belly Mm. to kind of wrestle with these questions for myself on a deeply pastoral level. And then to think about how to best help other people who may be in a similar situation to the one that I was in so that they for themselves can come to see the truth and the goodness and the beauty of, of God. And so how did you get from, you know, asking those kind of profound questions as a, as a 16 year old, as a, as a young woman into, you know, doing university missions and, uh, you know, sharing your faith on secular campuses, among other things? Oh, you know, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I think partly I feel like I've fallen into it, but I know that that isn't the case. You know, there's, there's God's good hand over that. I think I've just had the Lord has given me a real love for his people. And when I was at university after I graduated, I was a student worker in an Elim church in Birmingham and I was there for about a couple of years. And I loved that work because it it was an opportunity for me to draw alongside students again who were going through just deeply awful situations. And the Lord used that to help me to think through how to best care for others. And so I think through through the student work in the local church and then working with UCCF for about eight years as a staff worker and then as a an assistant team leader in the Midlands, the Lord's just fleshed out my my 
my deep love of him and of and his love of others so it's not easy it's not um you know it's not something that you wake up every morning and you think this is um today is going to be a good day but um I think I see the gradual progression from the early times that I had in student ministry and the opportunities that he's given me to fail and to keep going and to keep trying and to keep reading and to keep talking to people like yourself and others and seeing that I don't need to have all the answers, um, but that I think he's just opened up different opportunities Mm. for me to be able to engage with seekers in different contexts, which I would never have thought that I would do really at all (laughs) it's not where I thought I'd be anyway I think what's interesting about that there's something in the way you answered that that I think is profoundly important isn't there because I think it's easy uh, as Christians to think oh if only if only I was in you know this situation or that situation maybe I could be effective for God but Mm -hmm. the idea of blooming where you're planted yes um, and so you know for people listening to this who may be thinking well that's great you know you did student ministry but that's not something I can do. Mm. But if you're in the workplace, among a circle of friends in your neighbourhood, to be praying, okay, Lord, show me your your heart for the people around me mm. and then show me how I can meet them where they mm. are and let me bloom where I'm planted because we don't right. just need university evangelists. We need community evangelists. We need people who invite the non-Christian family next door around for dinner. We right. need, you know, all of these things. And I love the fact that your story reflects that. Thank you. I think that's exactly it. Often we shy away from the challenge and we see the gap, don't we, in where we are and where we feel that others need us to be in order to best communicate and to live out and to share God's love with others. And I think that's the question. When we see that gap, do we run away from it or do we trust that God will equip us, that he's put us in this particular situation with these people for a reason Mm. and that he will give us what we need to be able to best shine as lights in that in that context with them. Now you mentioned for you, uh, when you were younger, it was the the suffering question mm. was the big one. And I think that's still a big question for many people, many sort of fr- friends who I speak to are not Christians that will often come up. What are some of the other big issues mm. that you think can sometimes be stumbling blocks for people? What are, you, what are you seeing as you're out there talking to people who are not Christians? What are some of the mm. things that, the questions that often tend to get asked? Mm. There are so many. I think recently I've seen a resurgence in some of questions revolving around um, God and other religions. How can you be so ignorant and arrogant and divisive in making an exclusive truth mm-hmm. claim and saying that Jesus is the only way? Other questions at the moment are centering on sexuality. Uh, how can God be good if he's telling me to give up this key part of who I am as a sexual being? And then I think more recently, in light of post-truth, fake news, alternative facts phenomenon, it's it's the question of truth. How do we know, how do we actually know that this is true, that Jesus actually is the Son of God? Isn't that just another power play? Isn't that just another oppressive claim that's being made by one group of people in order to dominate another group? Do you know, the interesting thing about the truth question, I think that operates on on so many levels. I think there's 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 that angle. Mm. The other one and uh in fact uh you and I and uh our guest on our previous episode that we recorded <laughs> we were talking about this earlier. You know, one of the things I'm seeing in society right now that fascinates me is I think people who are actually perhaps more drawn to Christianity than we might we might realise see something attractive uh in that but haven't yet sort of figured out this is actually true. Mm. We were talking about the journalist Douglas Murray 
who wrote the book, uh, he's got a more recent book, but the book before the one that's just come out, he wrote a book called The Strange Death of Europe, mm, where he talked about right. the issues around Islam. But what's fascinating about that book, Douglas, who's an atheist, um, nevertheless, I think he's drawn to Christianity, sees the difference that it's made, sees how it's profoundly more attractive than uh, than Islam. But, you know, running through the book is this haunting question, well, therefore, Douglas, why are you still an atheist? Mm. And I think for him it's the truth question. How do we kind of respond to perhaps people who who actually perhaps actually like Christianity, certainly attracted Jesus more than we might realise, but for them it's in the category of this is a nice story, mm. it's not actually true. Mm. I think it's helping them to see the relevance of this truth claim, that w- one of the ways in which we can all do this is by bringing people into community and into the church family itself, so that they see that this isn't just something that's one person is saying this is true for me, but not truth for you but they're seeing christian belief they're seeing our loved one and they're lived out consistently through the failures and through the repentance and belief that goes on in the community and i think that is a that is a that is such a powerful witness that you know we've talked about this before that you know jesus sends people out not on their own you're in your twos you know you're in groups you're in you're in large numbers as you're sent out and and I think it would be great to have one person who is able to speak to the Douglas Murrays of this world and say, look, come home, come and taste and see God's goodness, um, but bring him into the community that he can see that this isn't just one other truth claim, but this this is a consistent um, reality, that this is God dwelling with his people. Because I think reading his book, um, The Strange Death of Europe, one of the things that really struck me was that I think he uses the the sentence we that Europe has lost its foundational story there is a vacuum of meaning in Europe which is which is what he says now accounts for this fragmenting of identities and hardening in particular in particular areas but helping him to see that there is then a story which is able to account for his desires for his longings and for the unity that he's trying to in mm. some way carve out and piece together in the person of Jesus Christ, that, yeah, I, I long for that. I pray for that. That would, yeah. yeah, that would be amazing. So over the kind of, I won't say how many years because people can do the maths and find out <laughs> how how, uh, how old you are, Christy. You're younger please than don't, me. Yeah, you're don't. younger than me anyway. But over <laughs> the years that you've been kind of involved in evangelism in different ways, what are what are some of the things that perhaps you you know you you've uh, you've learned that uh, you know if you could impart to others would be like sort of key ideas for you because I think um, you know I meet so many Christians I think who would love to be more effective at evangelism feel that it's you know it's terrifying it's not something for them who's perhaps sit there and go I'm so glad Christie's called to evangelism or Andy's mm. called to so I don't have to but evangelism I think is for everybody yeah. you know what are some of the things when you teach and train folks on evangelism perhaps that you say look here's some you know really key things to make you realise that anybody could do this mm. um, where would you begin mm. oh that's just such a great question I think there are, there are many places that, that we could start. I think one of the places that that I find really empowering is knowing that in evangelism we have nothing to prove. And so when we look at the, the Great Commission, you know, the end of Matthew, that Jesus says, I will be with you to the very end of the age, like go and make disciples. But firstly, you're not doing this you're not doing this on your own. You have the Spirit of God who is living in you. He indwells you and he's empowering you to do this. Jesus, the Christ Spirit himself is is with you. And so I think that means that often when we feel like we have to have the right answer, that 
you know, it's either this make or break moment or we'll never again be able to share the goodness of, of Jesus with our friends. I think it's seeing that God's bigger and better than <laughs> than what you think you're able to contribute to that particular engagement. So it means that I that I can go into that with freedom. So it means that I can freely prepare, um, I can freely pray and I can freely prepare I can pray depending completely on God's um, sovereignty and upon his empowering spirit. And I can prepare well, knowing that that question might come up, not come up, and that's okay. And so that means that if, if I'm in a conversation with somebody, I think it's better to say, I don't know, can I come back to you, than to try and hash together some kind of answer because that was one of the frustrations that that I had and mm. um, when I was younger was that it was Christians trying to scramble and think oh quick say something but then nothing really meaningful was communicated to me other than yeah you've got no idea what you believe and so I think knowing that it's okay to say you don't know something can I come back to you that will increase that increases your credibility and increases the engagement of the other person and I think also just knowing that when we when we're speaking with others our words they're meaningful um, but also our manner as well I think goes such a long way that when you come into a conversation if we know that we have nothing to fear nothing to prove we are spirit and dwells we've we've worked around some of the questions even though there's some stuff that we don't know um, in those in those interactions with others we can we can be kind we can do we can commend the hope that we have with gentleness and and with respect and sometimes sadly in some of the things that I've seen that hasn't been done and and that just again what kind of god are we communicating if we if we're going into a conversation thinking again it's like a power play I have all the answers this mm. is what you need to know the gospel is a download of information rather than a consistent discipleship of knowing what it looks like to live and to be known by this amazing triune God so there's some hap haphazard thoughts you're not alone spirit is with you mm. prepare well you don't need all the answers be kind I love the I love the be kind piece there Christy because I mean one of my one of my favourite verses for for years, which will not surprise um, people as a, as an evangelist, is uh, is First Peter three, fifteen. A very famous verse. This is always be ready to you know give a give a reason for the hope that we have. Yeah. But there's two bits that I think is always interesting is, is 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 missed. Firstly, it begins by saying in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Yeah. So make sure we know who Jesus is and where we stand. Um, but then, as you say, it ends then with do this with gentleness. And respect, but then even recently, just noticing, yeah, you know, it doesn't say give a reason for what you believe and beat the other person into superiority with, in, into we, into defeat with your clever answers. It says give a reason for the hope that you have. Mm. You know, so mm. share with our friends, our neighbours, our colleagues. This is the hope that we have, and gee, we're in a world that wants hope. Mm. And they just give some reasons why that hope is is true. Right, but with right. gentleness, and respect, and that that reason for the hope that we have that is ultimately found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But we can also talk about testimonies of God's ongoing goodness in our life. Yeah. And I think that's something that we sometimes feel like, okay, I've got to give the testimony of this one amazing uh, interaction that I had with God that kind of pushed me over into belief. But many of us don't have those kind of testimonies. You know, I, I wasn't converted from a from a lifestyle which was, you know, thousands of miles away from a good moral um, 
what a good moral life looks like for a for a 16 year old girl you know I don't have the dramatic I was a drugs drug addict and then this happened and praise God for those for those kind of testimonies but I think often that means that when we elevate those we then denigrate the actually I was I was praying for this and um and then God answered that the next day and just being able to communicate just a small testimony of mm. it's really significant of what God has done in your life a day ago yeah. is a really is, is a reason for the hope that you have and being able to do that I mean Peter's talking about in the context of suffering isn't he and and others being provoked by the way in which we live when we suffer to ask ask us questions but I think not being afraid to share the small things of God that he's able to use those powerfully to Mm. remove the veil from others eyes I think, I think you're dead right and it's very important I can remember as a young Christian you know similarly struggling yeah. with the fact that I you know wasn't I hadn't been a granny murdering drug taking yeah, psychopath yeah. and uh, I remember at one point thinking I should have gone and killed a few grannies before I became a Christian I a <laughs> you heard it here first yeah. yeah don't take that out of context Twitter lights up um, <laughs> but the other thing that occurs to me what you said that I think is interesting if we lean too hard on those very dramatic testimonies it doesn't just disempower people. You know, many people like ours listening to this may just have very, you know, ordinary mm. testimonies, although it, every testimony isn't ordinary exactly. because it's supernatural. Um, but also it occurred to me, you know, not that long ago, that actually if we overemphasize the very dramatic testimonies, um, the problem is then you engage non-Christian friends who, you know, look at you and go, why do I need God? My life's not mm. a mess. You know, because I think sometimes our non-Christian friends pick up the fact that, well, maybe if you are you know, a massive wreck of humanity. I could see how religion might yeah. be useful for you. But, you know, I'm okay. The job's good. The kids are good. Life is good. Why Why would I need God? Mm. And actually, I think, yeah, that testimony of, well, let me tell you about God in the everyday yes. actually has more resonance than we might we might realise. And so yeah. I think it's important for, you know, I, you know, I want listeners to hear that, really, whatever your testimony is. If you've got a dramatic testimony, fantastic. If there are mm. any granny-murdering psychopaths listening, you know, it's great <laughs> that God saved you. But for ordinary, you know, men and women listening and going, you know, I'm just like an ordinary Joe, ordinary Jane, but, you know, God dramatically turned my mm. kind of life around. I'm a new creation. That's still a testimony. Yeah, because then otherwise what we end up doing is we end up saying, well, um, I know this person who to whom this ha- this thing happened. And then you're kind of saying, God works for that person, but you're not saying that he was actually able to work, I mean, work in, you know, inverted commas, whatever. That means. He's not able to um, speak to you in a way that's meaningful so that you can communicate with the person in front of you because then you're always deferring to these amazing stories and kind of saying they're the ones that are have meaning and that are significant and yeah you know I've got this and that going on but that's what we should be aiming for so I th- again that subtly mm. communicates to the person who is seemingly sorted that unless they too have that kind of encounter they can't kind of grasp the the wonder of, of God's goodness yeah, I think that's such a such a helpful yeah. way in. Oh, that's helpful, and I think it's also you know I think it's lights the heart too of why we're doing the podcast, I guess, because mm. I think uh, I think as you and I sort of talked about this and set this up, thinking was you know how do we ha- how do we equip you know Christians who are you know just pat- desperate to reach out to their friends yeah. and neighbours, their classmates, maybe feel that they can't do evangelism because they're not they haven't got the dramatic testimony, they're not learned PhDs, whatever, but really want to make an impact. Uh, how can we help people see that actually God can use you, whoever you are, mm. no matter what your story? If it's dramatic, sure, he can use you. But if it, if you don't feel that's you, he can use you too. And if we can use the podcast to get great tools into people's hands, 
then um, then, then we'll have succeeded, right? Precisely. Amen. Yes. Amen to that. Well, it's been a it's been good fun turning the kind of tables and interviewing you <laughs> rather than have you co interview <laughs> with somebody. So, uh, so Christy, thank you for uh, all that you do, and it's uh, looking forward to working with you on the show. And uh, hope listeners have enjoyed today's slightly unusual version of the Pep Talk podcast. <laughs> Can't wait. Thank you, Andy. Thank you.